Hey you guys, welcome back to The Bible from the Beginning to Eternity podcast. We are almost ready to actually dive into the book of Genesis, almost. Before we start the book of Genesis, I need to explain something really important about the Old Testament. Specifically, what I want to talk about is the importance of the first five books of the Bible. The first five books together, as a unit, have a name all of its own. The first five books are known as the Torah, and that is a Hebrew word. What does that word mean in English? The word Torah means law or instruction. The Torah is also sometimes called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch is a Greek word. It comes from penta, which means five. Think pentagon has five sides. A pentathlon is a contest with five events, and so on. So, Pentateuch. The penta means five. And what in the world is a tuch? In Greek, tuch means scroll or book. So that's easy to remember. The Pentateuch means five books, just like the Torah has five books. And I'll be using both of those words interchangeably just so you can get used to that. They serve as the foundation to the entire unified story of the Bible foundation. Think about that word. Where do we find foundations in real life? Beneath buildings. Why are foundations important? Foundations have several purposes. They anchor the building to the ground. They provide a solid base for the building. And one definition I looked at said that a foundation keeps the building standing while the forces of nature wreak havoc. Wow, I love that. That is exactly what the Torah does. It anchors us. What is it anchoring us to? It's anchoring us to truth. It provides a solid foundation for God's word, God's love letter. The foundation of the Torah keeps us standing, while the forces of nature The forces of our own culture and modern world wreak havoc in our lives. And the Torah was for the Hebrews. It presents God as the creator of all things. It contains the story of the fall. And it tells the story of the Israelites as God's chosen people. And remember, these are the first three things I mentioned. That outline I told you you might want to keep in your back pocket creation, the fall, and the story of Israel. As I mentioned a little bit ago, the Torah means the law or instruction. Why would the Hebrews need laws or instruction? Well, why do children have to have instruction or rules or discipline? Why do societies make laws? Laws provide structure They provide guidance needed to have a fruitful life. Contained within the Torah are God's instructions for living. God chose the Hebrews to be his chosen people. The instruction and law given to the Hebrews, who are also the Israelites and the Jews, 
was meant to present to the whole world the story of God and all of humanity, so that someone who did not know God would look upon the Hebrew people and like what they saw and want to be part of God's family. And that is still the case today. Think about instruction and rules. Don't we already know the rules? Can't we just feel it when something is not fair? Of course, we have all said it as children. That's not fair. How do we know? Even as children, what is fair? We inherently want fairness. Why do we want it? Even as adults, we want what's fair. Where did the sense of fairness or right and wrong come from? We all have it. Why do we have it? Well, it's not an accident, and here's the answer, and I repeat it at the end of every podcast. We were made in the image of God, and God is a righteous God. He wants what's fair and right and good. Okay, moving onward. We're talking about the Torah, the first five books. What are they? In order, they are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. For each book of the Bible we study moving forward, I will tell you the name of the book, when it was written, what the name of the book means, and who wrote the book. For the first five books of the Bible, many people, including myself, believe that Moses was the author of the Torah. You know, there are actually some people who debate that Moses wrote these books. But I actually know someone who is a top expert in this field, and he said that Moses wrote the law, and the name of the expert is uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Have you heard of him? Oh yeah, he said that Moses wrote the law in several places in the New Testament. If you want to look one up, check out the book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 44. If Jesus said it, that's good enough for me. There. Phew. The debate's over. I'm glad we settled that, aren't you? Okay. I hope I've given you a good explanation about the Torah and its importance. Now I'm going to give you a quick introduction to the book of Genesis. Why is the book called Genesis in our English Bibles? What does that word mean? The word Genesis in Greek means origin, source, beginning. That title makes sense. In the Hebrew Old Testament, the name of this book is Bereshit, which means in the beginning. We already talked about who the author is, Moses, and commentaries suggest that Moses wrote the book of Genesis in approximately 1486 BC. Why did Moses write the book of Genesis? He wrote it to reveal the origin and purpose of the universe, and the purpose of life and of humanity, and to show the nature of God, and to record the early history of the Israelites. God's chosen people, and to begin revealing Jesus, the Messiah. What is that word, Messiah? Messiah literally means the anointed one. Okay, what about that word anointed? 
What does anointed mean? It means to smear or rub with oil. The oil was typically poured on the head of a high priest, and many spices were mixed into the oil to give it a really pleasing aroma. What is that? What is the reason for this anointing? Being anointed is to be filled with all the fullness of God so that the high priest can faithfully do God's work in this world. We will see several anointings throughout the Bible, and Jesus, he is the anointed one, the promised deliverer. In fact, the name Christ means the anointed one. Let's talk about the name of Jesus for a minute. What does Jesus mean? His name means he saves, and the name Christ means the anointed one. What about that, you guys? His name is he saves, the anointed one. Quick summary of Genesis is this. Chapters 1 through 11 covers early history, the creation, the fall, Cain and Abel, Noah's Ark, and the Tower of Babel and other stories. And chapters 12 through 50 talk about God's choice of Abraham, the promises God makes to Abraham, and how that all plays out. The stories are awesome, and I'm not going to give away any spoilers here. A couple of things that I wish I had mentioned in the introduction, so I'm going to include them here. Some of you may have heard the term Holy Trinity. And some of you maybe have not heard that term before. I will be mentioning the Holy Trinity sometimes, and I wanted you to know what I'm talking about. In Christianity, the Holy Trinity is the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, existing as three separate persons, but as one being having a single divine nature. And I know this is not an easy concept to understand, and I can't explain it. I accept it. There's one thing I wanted to say to any parents out there. One thing I very much regret is that I did not share Jesus with my kids when they were young, during the time that they believed everything I said. By the time I was a believer, they were teenagers. And it was too late. And don't do what I did. Read the Bible with them. Let them listen to the podcast with you in the car. Get a book of Bible stories. Plant the seed early. I promise you, you will not regret it. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, the Bible says this, Direct your children onto the right path. And even when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, when we finally begin to read scripture, don't read it like I read it the first few chapters. When I first read it, oh, these stories are ancient. These stories are from a thousand years ago, and in my opinion, they didn't relate to me. Please listen to me. There was never a scoffer more angry than me. I was 100% sure that the stories I read in the Bible were just a bunch of old legends. You might feel like this too, but it doesn't have to be this way. God is real. Jesus is real. The words in the Bible are alive. 
It is my prayer that I can help you experience this. We're going to go through a lot of stories together. When you're making your way through the scripture, put yourself into the story. When you read the creation account, when you read the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, close your eyes and imagine that. When Eve gets tempted by the devil, put yourself in Eve's shoes. Because guess what? You have already been in those exact shoes. You are in those shoes. You think that thousands of years after the devil tricked Eve, that he's not still in the business of tricking people, deceiving them, quietly leading humans to sin and hell. The devil hates God and he hates humans. He would like nothing better than to keep you eternally separated from God. And that is his mission. And he's busy every single second, aiming to get as many as possible to fall. Remember eternity. I want you to think about that all the time because eternity is the next step for every single one of us. I remember when I was a bitter unbeliever, I remember just getting weighed down with work, responsibilities, bills, worry, family drama, chores, you name it. It felt like joy, true joy, never lasted. It would come and then it would be gone. I remember watching the Red Sox win the World Series in 2004. And if you're a Red Sox fan, you know the importance of what I'm talking about right now. And when they won, man, you should have seen those guys. The look of joy on all their faces blew me away. I still think about it sometimes. And my face was joyful too. And then a rotten voice inside me said, Yeah, but it won't last. And it didn't. And then maybe a long-awaited vacation would come and I would feel joy bubbling up, especially that first day of vacation and the second day. And then it was over. And when happy events came along, like watching two people get married, I feel joy. And then I cry. Why in the world would I cry if I was watching something joyful? Because deep down, deep down inside myself, I know that joy that I'm feeling in that moment, it's not going to last. My body is not going to last. And someday I'm going to die. Did you guys know that in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, it says that God has put eternity in our hearts. Now, think about this. God put eternity in our hearts. It says it in the Bible. He put it there. Our brains can't really even fathom eternity. And we have it in our hearts. No wonder we are yearning for something. We have eternity housed within our mortal bodies. That is such a mighty mismatch 
because of this, we feel yearning. We're always going to be yearning. We have a built-in void in our lives. And many of us have tried to fill that void mostly with a bunch of junk. Everything we do to try to fill it won't work. Why not? Why won't it work? Because we are using earthly things that won't last to fill an eternity that God put there. There is nothing, I mean nothing, that is going to be able to fill that void except for one thing, God. God can fill the void. He wants to fill the void. It's the reason why he put eternity in our hearts. So we could just feel that there is something else beyond this life. Well, how can we fill this void now on earth while we're still here? The way to fill the void is through a personal relationship with God, through faith in Jesus. That's it. That's all it takes. Faith that Jesus died for your sins. If we have that faith, we will go to an eternal home. Our eternal home is a real place where we will reside in real physical bodies and where we will experience everlasting joys, rewards, and treasures. Where we live now, we are just temporary residents. We have so much to look forward to, everlasting joys, rewards, and treasures, everlasting. If we just have faith that Jesus paid the price of admission for our ticket to live there for eternity with God. Well, that's it for this time, you guys. Until next time, remember that Jesus loved you and knew you before you even existed. And I love you too. How can I love you if I don't even know you? Because you were made in the image of God.